What's going on, everyone? You are listening to the Modern Markets Podcast, brought to you by FOMOHUD, where we discuss topics ranging from world banking to decentralized platforms. So sit back and enjoy, because you're going to learn today. Welcome, everyone, to a new episode of the Modern Markets Podcast, presented by FOMOHUNT, brought to you by Cal Toro and your host, Titan Inc. And now the summary for today's episode. In today's episode, we have Shiwan Kim from MXC Foundation. We're going to be discussing how AI and blockchain can work together to bring a brighter future. We'll also discuss what is machine learning, what is deep learning, what are neural nets, and what is MXC working on that implements AI technology. We'll also discuss the doomsday scenario that has been portrayed by Terminator and other popular movies about AI and what would happen if they did go rogue. All this and more coming up right now. What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to another episode of the Modern Markets Podcast. And today I have with me a returning guest, Juwan Kim. He is one of the uh, lead business development guys at MXC Foundation. But today we're going to primarily talk about AI and kind of the crossover to blockchain. So MXC is doing some work with AI and blockchain, and we'll get into that at some point. But the first question that I just want to go over with you is, well, first of all, what is AI on a very surface level breakdown? Yeah, well, first of all, uh, thanks for having me. You know, it's always fun to be with you guys. You know, it's always a good chat. So I know that a lot of people have you know, brief understanding of AI, right? So AI stands for artificial intelligence. Um, but you know, then I think this is part where a lot of people get lost, you know, thinking like, oh, uh, is it like computers knowing everything and so on? But technically AI is actually an area of science. You know, it could be like math, chemistry, AI is a whole range of science and we just call that AI. Right. So what AI basically does is that it allows machines, computers and devices to simply take an input, make its own, you know, inferential mathematic, cognitive neural learning through it and then put out an output. Right. So that's essentially what it's doing on on a really basic nutshell. Great. So, yeah, I mean, that's pretty surface level for for AI. A lot of people obviously have the idea that AI is like you know, like, like the Terminator movies or like iRobot, you know, stuff like that. That's not exactly what AI <laughs> is. That would probably be a very like down the road type of thing to happen if it does. And we'll get into that as well on a later question. So I guess the big thing would be how can we combine AI and blockchain? That's that's the biggest question because most of the, the audience that's going to be watching this or, or, or listening to this is going to know about blockchain. That's cool. But right. how does AI and blockchain sort of work together? What are the, the possibilities? Right, right. To look into that, let's really um, take AI and blockchain as two separate entities, mm-hmm. right? So for AI, like I mentioned, it needs an input to produce an output, right? That's any, if you're looking to deep learning, machine learning, that's basically how it works. So for input, that means data. And when you look around the world, where in which network is there a crap ton of data? And that's blockchain, right? For blockchain, it's sure it can be like, you know, sending money and so on, but it's essentially that the money is transitioned into some type of data that can travel securely and, you know, fast through multiple blocks or like multiple networks. So that's basically what it is. So combining blockchain and AI, 
means that AI can take that input data directly from blockchain. So of course, this solves this first, well, one of the many challenges that AI has is that to develop a well-functioning AI, you need number one, lots of data. Number two, lots of computing power. So we mentioned you know, that blockchain has a lot of data, but then when you look at, okay, for computing power, sure, you can have like cloud computers, but you know, what closest thing to cloud computing do we have is blockchain. When people can use their own computing power, borrow their computing power to have these rewards. So we're solving that issue of AI through blockchain. Number three, a lot of people. You look at CoinMarketCap, there's like 3,000 plus projects. And then, you know, even if these projects had like five people each, that's a lot of people. You look at investors, you look at people who are getting involved with crypto, with developing um, blockchain, with, you know, just getting out there. And then, you know, like you guys, you know, educating people. That's a lot of people who are already involved in blockchain that's kind of being absorbed into AI, helping the AI develop faster and, you know, with better mechanisms, essentially. Right. Before I cut you off, actually, I just wanted to, to summarize. So basically, with computing power, and, and this is obviously from, from blockchain, the incentive to provide computing power, that's probably what the biggest thing about blockchain is. Not only that, but like you're able to process a lot of data. So that's the biggest right. thing for AI, because you need two of those things, computing mm -hmm. power and data. So that's that's, that's a good point. And that actually solves a lot of the problems that AI has. And like you said, cloud computing, it's okay, right? But it can't compete with the kind of computing power that you could get from blockchain. Exactly. I mean, so when you combine all these things, it actually solves one very critical issue in AI is that you can have all the input data, you can have all the computing power, you can have all the people go into the input. And then, like I said, it comes an output, but then what goes on inside that AI it's very, very difficult to track. How do you know that this AI mechanism is working? How do you know what is inferring from different data is indeed a correct way of thinking? And for that, a lot of, there's a lot of scholars who kind of go into that, you know, to really look into, you know, tracking the kind of train of thought inside this mechanism of AI. But when you combine it with blockchain, you can kind of, you know, track how the AI is working block mm. by block. So, you know, it's commonly known as a black box of AI that, you know, no one can see how, what's going on inside. But using blockchain, you can actually take a deep look in the inside and actually have a very thorough view of what the AI is thinking and what it's working on. So that really solves one of the very critical issues of AI. That is really cool. I didn't think about it like that. So I guess, yeah, so I guess that would be a, a big problem. You, you can't exactly see very clearly how the AI comes to the conclusion using the data without the blockchain, but with the blockchain, if you could track it block by block, and obviously you'd have, you know, you don't have to use, you know, specific methods. You could, you could use, I guess, proof of stake, proof, proof of work, whatever, whatever works, but you can track on this, on the blockchain, you know, every single move, and you could actually see the results over time and track the data that way. Not only that, but the data itself will be encrypted because of the blockchain and because of the incentive to add computing power to secure that network, which is also obviously yeah. a very big point because if there's a lot of data going into this, this AI or machine learning, the problem is what happens if that data gets leaked or what happens you know, to, to that data if there are holes in it? Exactly. So, I mean, you, you look at all these kind of borderline sci-fi um, you know, news headlines such as you know, like, oh, Facebook's AI made their own language and nobody could know, like, what, what the fuck happened? <laughs> yeah. 
you know, that's essentially what, what you're looking at is the black box problem of AI and you're using blockchain. If they're using blockchain, then you can see, oh, like here is the point when they started to develop their own language and then mm -hmm. this is how it happened. Right. So that kind of solves that critical issue. Right. Cause uh, so from, from the stuff that I've seen, especially with like machine learning, we'll dive into the differences between like machine learning and, and deep learning and all that. But from machine learning instances that I've seen or examples, what happens is, okay, you have the data collection, right? You, you create this, this neural network and we'll also talk about what a neural network is and you have these inputs, but then you also have your output, but in between that, uh, those inputs and outputs, that's the part where you can't really see what's happening. All you get to see is how the machine learning continues to improve right. based on the data that's being added. So yeah, you're right. That's a very key problem to fix, which probably would explain that issue that Facebook had where they couldn't figure out where this language came from. So you actually mentioned that there are, on some of our questions, you mentioned there's over 30 projects working in combining AI and blockchain. What would it look like if they were actually to be successful in their efforts? Right, I mean, so, you know, like I mentioned, uh, AI is such a big area and, you know, combining blockchain into different aspects of it could have different outcomes. But essentially what all these projects are really working on is, you know, using blockchain to source that data and providing to AI. So if it were to, you know, happen and be implemented successfully, what that essentially means is that when, for example, it could be you, it could be some agency that's recording data, that's collecting data. And that means that while you're doing that, you're contributing to, you know, the AI by providing this valuable data, but also because you provide the data to AI, you're basically earning rewards, could be in forms of tokens or crypto or points, like wh whatever that could be anything really. It kind of shifts the balance in a way because one interesting story that I, that I have is that um, you know, before working in blockchain, I worked briefly in a um, digital marketing sort of consultancy that's pretty big for clients. I had like Heineken and Unilever and these big companies. And we were actually developing kind of a machine learning, um, you know, slash deep learning, cognitive computing um, you know, technology to kind of infer this input of marketing data into, you know, projected into, you know, predicted sales or, you know, related purchases. And while we were doing that, you have this big database that this company collected, right? Could be like, we updated it once every week. And then each file is usually around 60 to 80 gigabytes. You know, it's, was a pain in the ass to download, pain in the ass to open. Even then, these data are still collected by one agency, right? Or it could be like 10 different agencies just still pulling in. But what is missing is that when it comes to these kind of data collection, these agencies are basically targeting certain groups of people and say, okay, they are relevant. These other people, they're not relevant. So therefore, are you really making an efficient AI technology when you're looking at, you know, like, certain group of people who you think is relevant. You're kind of planting human error into the system. Mm. And if you're using blockchain with everyone who may not be related by some different social norms or, or it could be any different standard, that means that you have more wider pool of data that is more genuine straight from the source, not having to be filtered through the agencies. And with this, you can build an AI that is you know, more omniscient in a way. Ro like robust. I, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's what, you know, essentially that's what all the projects are doing. And I mean, of course, some are, you know, succeeding and some are um, you know, having some problems, which we'll of course get into that in terms of, you know, privacy, security and so on. Um, 
but essentially in a nutshell that's what everyone's doing okay and then so i, I think what you were referring to and this is what i've heard and this is basically on, uh, on like data science side of things it's called selection bias right uh, where you you take a specific type of data and as a human obviously you assume certain things you, you come to some conclusions that the data is this way because of these factors and you select a certain or filter a mm. certain uh, amount of data or types of data but you may leave out others because you don't think that they're a factor in the end result right and this is so this is selection bias and the problem with this is that this is usually because you know as as humans we don't really we, we're trying to kind of you know sum things down right so that it makes it easier but if you leave out certain data you may not get the the entire result or the the complete conclusion that you're looking for um, that provides accurate results. So like you're saying, you know, with blockchain, we could aggregate a massive amount of data without having to worry about filtering, you know, because of scaling issues and whatnot. Right, right. And I mean, of course, I know that these different agencies or, you know, like anti-blockchain people, if there are any, <laughs> um, you know, they can say, oh, you know, but like we can never rely on on the accuracy of this data or on on the relevance of this data and it could be that when this data was collected there was inherent problem with the device that was collecting data right so it could be any of these issues but because blockchain has you know already a smart contract included it has a consensus method included so that means that right so just to compare if this data is really accurate compare the same data set from a same, you know, nearby geographical area, for example. And I just compare, you know, it, this one outlier to the rest of the group. Then you can see, okay, is this a unique outlier that should be given some significance or is this just the fault of the device that was collecting data? You know, so I think blockchain can really solve a lot of different issues in AI and also improving it to be um, something more than what we can imagine right now. Right. You know, it's funny because a lot of people initially thought that blockchain and AI were just two key, uh, you know, key terms for a lot of these companies. And they could be, you know, for a few, you know, for a few companies or maybe, maybe more just to get, you know, more funding. And it would have worked really well because AI and blockchain are obviously two very big topics of discussion right now. So if you were, you know, just faking it and bringing up, hey, we're going to put blockchain and AI together and, you know, just come up with something crazy then yeah, that would make sense. I mean, that'd be an easy way to get funding. However, there are actual very, very good use cases for blockchain and AI. And that's obviously why we're discussing that now. Right, right. So how can AI be truly efficient while respecting privacy law around the world? We, we pretty much already covered this, but I just want to make it more clear. Right, right. So even though we, we already covered this, I think this is a very um, important issue, mm -hmm. right? Because you kind of have two different schools of thoughts on this. So you have one group of people saying all the data has to be completely inclusive. So that means that, you know, like who the person is, where they were, um, you know, like what kind, of what kind of device they had and so on. And of course, this means that you will simply have a large pool of data and that would improve the AI. And of course, it, it makes sense. But then there's another group of, you know, people thinking, but then aren't we giving away too much, um, you know, personal data to you know, these data agencies and so on. And of course, the, this kind of fear comes from the fact that you never know because this black box problem of AI, what the AI is going to do with 
your information, right? So it's kind of like, I don't know, like, would you rather give $20 to your mom that you already know, or would you rather give 20 bucks to a shady guy on the street? You know, it's, it's kind of like you are reluctant to do an action because you don't know the outcome of it. Right. So that's just basically the issue. And I think, of course, there are many different, um, you know, privacy laws around the world, but I think the European GDPR is definitely a, a significant standard. Um, and the reason is, of course, there are critics saying, hey, it only applies to EU, um, which is sort of true, but at the same time, it's not true. Because even if you're based anywhere else in the world, if you're doing business with an entity that's based in the European Union, you have to be GDPR compliant. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So I think, you know, using EU GDPR as kind of the framework, um, you know, really helps because it has, first of all, it had government support. It has, you know, private sector support and it has an overreaching impact on the rest of the world from our perspective as MXC Foundation, because we're developing AI in terms of IoT, you know, this is for machines and for devices. There really is no reason for us to kind of share the personal data when it comes to coming about you know, machine learning or, or you know, what we call a smart machine learning um, and, and these kind of aspects, because simply the human aspect of that is irrelevant for us. And if you think about it, there really is not that much AI that needs to be developed to be relevant for each human. Because if you care too much about oh, who this person is, what this person does, where this, where this person goes, that you're being too nitpicky. You know, even we don't do that. You know, maybe I have like 500 concepts on my phone. Most of the times, I don't even know where 499 of them are at the moment. Right? Like we only kind of care about what really matters. And that's also what AI should. So what we're doing is that we're simply saying, hey, first of all, we are removing this personal details from the moment that this data is collected because it's just collected from a device. We don't care who set this device. We don't care who's in charge of it. Next thing is, of course, then let's say that um, you're looking into visual data, right? Videos, surveillance videos. Um, you know, where you see people, you have to see people. Then it violates the EU GDPR simply because it first has to go into a cloud where there is an AI me mechanism built. So it gets uploaded to, you know, to online. And that's what essentially breaks the EU GDPR um, compliance law. What we have done is that we have developed a um, hardware chip that has some built-in AI. So we have made this AI come offline into the device. So this device doesn't have to upload data into the cloud and break EU GDPR. It simply processes all the data offline inside the device. So that is something that you know, we have developed. And of course, some people say, oh, how can this AI then you know, truly learn and develop itself? We also have you know, firmware updates that go regularly into the AI. And then, you know, we are using LP1 and so on to you know, um, handle this AI data, which we have two pat different patents currently in pending. Um, so that is something that we're doing. So, yeah, I think there are many different exciting developments in this thing. And, you know, yeah, so I, I want to talk more about, about what you were just mentioning. So you're saying that, that you guys have developed a system that allows you to, instead of upload the, the data to the cloud, you can process it offline with this hardware chip that you guys have created. So, so how do these firmware updates work? And I guess like, like you were mentioning, like how exactly can it be trained without being online? And I, I'm sure it's possible, I just don't understand it. <laughs> right, right, right. So 
well, there are, of course, like many different ways to do it. Um, you know, I'm sure I'm not saying one way is better than the other. It's just um, it's not coming from a development perspective, but it's more coming from the legal perspective. Yes. Right? So first, of all, the firmware update is done through Bluetooth. So, you know, we send out a Bluetooth signal to, you know, each devices and so on. And then they simply, you know, update their, their firmware to make it more efficient and you know, have more um, processing power when it comes to that. And next thing is about AI learning. Let's say that, you know, this device collects different data and processes through AI, right? Then it sends out the result of that online. So we are still getting the result of this and we can use this result to, you know, build a larger network to make things more efficient. We simply don't need to take the input data, which is protected by EU GDPR online. But the result is not protected by EU GDPR because it's completely different from the oh, input. Oh, I see. So it's kind of a work, it's kind of a workaround. It's like a loophole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it could be, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, so you, so the input itself, as long as it is processed offline, mm. you can just post the result online. And that's mm. how you can get around or get through the GDPR compliance. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I mean, let's let's say that an app developer wants to know during which times is this road um, the most congested. You know, we have Google traffic and, you know, let's say that they want to use AI for that. Most companies take this video surveillance data from the road and then take that information to the cloud, to online. But from that, let's say that you are driving at the moment in a car and your car is there, your license plate is there, your face is there, right? And it shows your location at what time. That's personal data that's being uploaded, which is against the EUGDPR. But then if we process that offline and then the result says, hey, during uh, 6 p.m. At, on these days, this road is the most congested, then that completely have removed the personal details, and then we send it to the cloud, EUGDP compliance issue solved. All right, so let's talk about these terms that I'm sure people are familiar with, or if you're not, we're going to at least cover them in surface detail. So the first term is obviously artificial intelligence, that's AI. I'm pretty sure that's just like an umbrella term. The second yeah. term is uh, ML or machine learning. And the third term is deep learning. So right, what right. what's the difference between these three terms on a surface level? And you can get into to some depth here, there. And we'll right. also talk about um, what's a neural net after this. Right, right. So I think to help people's imagination, think of it like an onion, right? So the entire onion is AI. Then you peel out some layers and the, the nice crispy part of the onion is um, machine learning. And then you go really deep and then the part where it starts to turn a bit green, you know, that's deep learning. So it kind of, you know, draws a picture for you. Mm -hmm. So machine learning is in a simpler way. It's basically, you know, creating this kind of program or should I say protocol to allow the machines to take data from different data inputs or different machines, for an example, through machine to machine communication, and then get the result of a specific problem, right? So essentially just allowing machines to get the data from each other and then analyze the data in a certain way to produce an output about right. some problem. Now, the reason that I said kind of when you process that data, then you kind of come into deep learning. Deep learning is one of the many methods inside machine learning. And deep learning is kind of this 
um, you know, very technical term, but if you look into it, it basically means, okay, how should we program these machines so that which way do they, you know, what method do they use to process this data? And deep learning is simply saying that, okay, we will program, we'll program the protocol inside the machines to kind of be based like human brain. So that's basically what deep learning is. So deep learning and machine learning are not the same thing. It's kind of different. Yeah. But deep learning is simply one of the many schools of thoughts into how should machine learning be developed. So basically, so, so deep learning, so it's what it sounds like. So deep learning is like a, a more in-depth version of machine learning where the AI and, you know, we, we obviously, if you know what AI means, just artificial intelligence. Just, I think the, it, it pretty much covers machine learning and deep learning as like an umbrella term. But, right. but anyway, so, so if the AI can take this data not only put the put the output out there, but also, you know, start to learn about itself, right? Mm -hmm. Learn about like its own processes and learn about its own neural network, which we will cover in a second, <laughs> then it can kind of adjust and update itself almost. And I can't remember exactly where I saw this, but there was actually some instances and some examples where um, there was some deep learning AI who were essentially like they were updating their own software mm. so that if there was any issues, uh, any bugs, they were like figuring it out, figuring out where the, the holes were and just doing the updates themselves rather than, you know, having, and I, I kind of look at machine learning as it's more like, it's not dumb, but it's just, it's just dumber than deep learning where, you know, it's, it's just not as intelligent as a deep learning AI would be. Um, right. Because because a machine learning it, it it can only take the inputs and give you an output, but it can't necessarily fix itself, or it can't right, right. it can't figure out how the process works. It's just taking the data you give it and it's giving you an output, mm -hmm. right? So let's talk about neural nets, neural networks. So so neural nets are actually like based on actual you know neurons, how the the body actually works, which is pretty cool. So if you think like how anatomy works and and how our neurons work in our bodies, like how we you know, our nervous system, essentially, you can essentially tie in the same principles to a neural net, because mm -hmm. you have, you know, from the brain, from the core, you have a an input, and then you have an output. And that's the response that you get whenever you're, you know, if I'm moving my arms around, whatever, then I am telling my, my brain is telling my appendages to move and for, so you get an input and then you get an output. Could you explain a little bit more and, and probably better analysis than I just did on, on a neural net and how it works with AI? Right. So that's a good question. I mean, I think the analogy you use is, is you know, it's quite accurate and it's very understandable. Um, but let's take your analogy and let's take it one step further, right? So your brain is telling a part of your body to move and it does, right? But then let's say that you, you touch something hot with your fingers. It mm -hmm. sends the signals back to your brain. Then your brain sends the signal back to the arm saying like, hey, you idiot, like move your fingers away. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> so, I mean, so that's essentially, um, you know, how these signals work. It's a constant back and forth feedback and response kind of action. And when we kind of look at this into neural networks and, and how it's applied to AI, it's that, Let's say that you have a central um, AI, which you would kind of you know, use it like a brain, right? So the brain is the AI and it's capable with deep learning that to improve itself, to learn from its mistakes or to, to figure out where things went wrong and then perhaps even suggest solutions for it. Then let's say that, okay, 
how is it getting the data to improve itself? Then that's where the neural, you know, this neural net is really working. That you have different computers, different devices getting these information and they're kind of like a mini AI in a way mm -hmm. that they can accept input, they can produce output, but they're not capable of making the analysis themselves. All that data goes set, gets sent back to the central AI brain. Then let's say that the central AI brain notices a certain frequency of errors coming from a certain part of the neural network. Then the AI, depending on the data that it has received from the specific part of the neural network, can you know, suggest a solution or roll out a, um, you know, a bug fix to fix that part of the neural network. So in a way, it's a more inclusive system that you can truly use to, to kind of operate the entire, um, I would say the entire network, the entire chain. So it's, it's no longer just an analysis. It's also analysis plus action. And I think that's kind of what's interesting about neural network. You know, great explanation. It's, it's like a, a proper neural network will, it'll be just like you described it. So if I was to put my hand on a hot surface, well, first of all, you know, I put my hand there in the first place. So right. I, I, I had an input to put my hand on the surface and it was hot. Now, I also had an input that told me, now the output was obviously me putting my hand there. Now the input mm -hmm. I also received was the fact that it was hot. So then I get an, another input and then my, my next output is to remove my hand from that hot surface. So I learned that, hey, it's probably a bad idea to put your hand on a hot surface because it doesn't feel very good, right? Right. It's not, it's not very, well, in a, in a computer's mind, it's not very efficient, right? Or it's mm -hmm. a problem. In our mind, it's just like, it's, it's pain. So for a computer or an, or an AI, you know, it's basically learning like, hey, these things over here, they aren't working very well. And we can see that, that this is a problem. So we're going to take this data and we're going to, to bring it back to the core and try to figure out how we can keep this from happening in the future. And then it, it just starts to narrow down on the, the issue uh, little by little until it finally erases the problem, you know, period. And that's why you have right. to continue to con keep collecting this data um, not only from like, you know, new, new data being entered, but also from the data that it's receiving from uh, its actual result. I, I think to just to add to that, one thing that I would be really interested in in future development is, you know, we are all building this AI or, or neural network and everything to be kind of perfect, right? Mm -hmm. But I would be interested in seeing some development of a um, certain type of AI that's more experimental. You know, because for example, like when we are walking down the street and we see a wall and it says wet paint, don't touch. And you're like, ah, like it doesn't look that wet. I still want to touch it. Yeah. Right. And you kind of know that if it's wet, you're going to get paint on your finger. Mm -hmm. A computer may not be willing to do that because it's like, okay, like probability, um, that's a dumb thing to do. But then I'm kind of interested in seeing a system that says you know what like let's go for it see what happens and if like it deliberately causes a certain error to fix that error itself so i would mm. be more interested in seeing i think that's really going to be interesting that is interesting it's it's almost like it's, it's it says i don't know like the probability of of this being wet paint is probably very high but 
I don't know for sure. So let me just test it anyway. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so that I know in the future if it's actually wet paint. That's interesting. Okay, well, let's, let's talk about, since, since we just talked about kind of like a rogue AI, uh, mm -hmm. where, it, where it says, I'm going to test the waters. You know, this is where we kind of transition into the possible Terminator, you know, iRobot scenarios. Are these types of scenarios possible? And I guess what would it take to get to those scenarios in the first place? Right. So I think, first of all, let's this say- This is my favorite part. Right. Like what, <laughs> what, what, it, what it takes to get there. Yeah. Um, I think it has to, the AI has to be developed to reach, to reach a certain outcome that involves, um, you know, in these cases, the existence of humanity. Right. right. It has to realize that, that we exist. Yeah. And right. it has to know that we are one of the independent variables to its possible outcome that it, would, it realizes as ideal. Right. So that's kind of the first step that we have. We ourselves, our existence has to be converted into a variable. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing is that then the AI has to be relevant to solving a specific problem that we are causing, right? So we have to be a significant independent variable. And then the third step is that the AI would then have to kind of have a, um, a built-in mechanism of problem solving. Then of course, the next thing is that um, the AI would have to have the uh, second constitutional right. And just kind of to like, you know, to put the jokes aside and everything, it would yeah. have to have um, certain certain rights by itself. What is it allowed to do? What is it not allowed to do? It's not really a matter of ethics at this point. It's just that how capable are these AIs in justifying its actions? So once these factors are all provided, and once these AIs have a massive network that can control independent parts of a robot, or you know, one robot in case of Terminator, or you know, many like shitload of robots and iRobot, yeah. then it would happen, you know? So I don't know, you know, in, for this to happen, like I can think of a scenario right now. Like I know, like we love our girl, like Greta Thunberg, right? Mm -hmm. But we know like this girl, she has some sass, right? She got, she got some attitude. So let's say that like Greta says one day, like, yo, like I'm going to build an AI with a fucking massive robot army to solve climate change. Then the AI says, hey, guess what? Um, the biggest factor that contributes to climate change is humans. <laughs> then, then they can be like, "All right, guys, like we found a problem. Let's have a solution." Right. And uh, yeah, like kill all humans. Let's do it. Like, you know, like it's it's funny you mentioned that. So you know, I don't know if you've seen all the memes on Twitter, but some of the memes are like when coronavirus is going on, the whole world is locked down. And you, ha you started having like animals, um, you know, coming into the city or there was like one where there was a bunch of sheep going through cities in Turkey. And, uh, you know, the caption was, um, you know, the like something to the effect of like uh, the animal kingdom is healing uh, humans or the virus, you yeah. know, uh, you know, so something like that. I just think that's funny because if an AI decides that, you know, humanity is a sort of virus and determines that, you know, that, that, <laughs> that humanity needs to go, then that's a possibility. But I don't know how, how much farther we're, we're going to go down the road for that one. And I, yeah, I don't know if I, there's any safeguards, you know, to, to keep the AI from, from thinking that way. Well, like there, there is, it's, uh, you know, um, plug it out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Turn it off.
Yeah. But, <laughs> but if if these AIs are then on blockchain that real that you know recognizes on on the computing power of of everyone around the world, then that would be more difficult, right? Right. But I think the probability of that happening is going to be very very small. Maybe maybe you might have malfunctioning in one like AI enabled robot. Right. But to think of a central AI brain that controls a massive army of robots, that's I think even our current computing power as an entire planet cannot even you know, provide that. Right. If there are any, what are some challenges in combining AI and blockchain? Right. So I think the most significant challenge is interoper- uh, interoperability. Right. So you might think, you know, it's very easy to kind of, you know, you know just smash those two things in and, and make it work. It's what, of course, a lot of people say. But we have to understand that the entire AI system is built on different standards. And I think the problem is not caused by AI, but it's caused by blockchain. Because a lot of blockchain companies want to make their own mainnet, right? It, it's kind of like you're your right of passage or you're a right. blockchain company, you gotta have your mainnet, bro. right? Like, gotta have the mainnet, bro. This is, this is what my funding told me to do. You know, I, I gotta get to this point, you know, keep giving me money. Exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah. And you know, like everyone's saying like, oh, when mainnet and so on, but like, let's, let's, let's really look into that, right? Like you have different blockchain companies developing different mainnet, which in a way mainnet is essentially a standard for these data to communicate with each other. Right. 3,000 plus, let's just say like, oh, from that, the top 1,000 has, has mainnet. There's 1,000 different freaking standards for each and every single one of them. Yeah. So when you use a certain blockchain to provide data to an AI, if one project is doing that to a certain AI, they're going to you know, communicate with data in a specific way that's different from another AI. Then these two AIs, since their main standard protocol of operating and processing data are different, they would no longer be interoperable. Mm-hmm. That's essentially what's happening. And I think it really kind of points out this problem in blockchain that almost everyone has been forgetting for so long is that stop making so many freaking mainnets. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Like, like even yeah. those people who ask when mainnet, yeah. They don't care about the mainnet. That basically they, Yeah, they, they just basically, they just want the pump. They, yeah, exactly. You know? And then yeah. you're thinking, oh, but like how does a mainnet um you know, contribute to the pump? It doesn't. Right. It just it's just a way to justify a pump. That's that's right. it. Exactly. Right? Like, I mean, let's look at our current world. We have Android, we have iOS, we have Windows, we have Mac OS, and we have Linux. Like those are five different operating um, systems. And, and they serve their purposes really well. They, exactly. they all do very specific things. Yeah, and we all need these five to, we just need these five to operate everything. So, like, I'm sorry, like, who in their right mind thinks, oh, like, I don't know, um, like, I'm going to make a blockchain project and I'm going to make my own different freaking mainnet that's unique to my own project and then, you know, expect to really connect different devices, connect different computers, connect different people with that. I think that's just completely preposterous, right? <laughs> I agree. It's, like, it's, it's just such a cocky idea. Yeah, yeah. Like, imagine that, right? Imagine, okay, you know, in a most perfect world, right, you have a built-in AI inside your home, and this AI has learned, like, what you like to eat, what you like to listen to, how you like your temperature and everything. Like, your life is freaking perfect. Like, you know, it cooks all the meals for you and everything. But imagine to do that, and it has already been implemented with blockchain, but then that means that, oh, like, 
your bath temperature is measured with one different operating system, your phone usage is measured with another, your lighting is measured with another, and so on, it just completely, you know, just exhausts the entire AI system. Yeah, and I, I agree. And, you know, I, I had um, Joe Rose, CEO of Dragon Chain on. Um, I know you're familiar with Dragon Chain. You know, they, yeah, yeah. they're doing really, really good stuff with interoperability. But even, even you know, with, with the software that they have to work with interoperability, you still have to, you know, it, it takes time, you know, to work in each blockchain. I mean, they've got the Bitcoin blockchain, Ethereum, Ethereum Classic, uh, Binance Chain. Um, but, you know, for each blockchain that they add, you know, you're adding a new standard. Then the issue is, it's like each, each of them has their own. Uh, and, th- and obviously, this would work, I think, with the Dragon Chain software. Um, you could probably integrate it somehow and just just rely on on Dragon Chain software itself. But I think for AI, it needs to have a specific, like you're saying, a specific standard or a specific blockchain where all of that AI data is processed through one blockchain rather than multiple. So even right. even with you know interoperability, I think you still need to like cut down on a on a couple at least a couple of standards or blockchains so that you don't have you know you know as many as you do. And the data can be parsed uh, more seamlessly. And it's, it's there, you know, even for these, these companies that are developing the AI, they don't have to like try to, you know, figure out, oh, well, you know, there's, there's 100 over here, you know, 100 blockchains over here that we could try, or there's 100 over here. Um, they can just narrow it down to a couple and it just makes it easier for the entire industry as a whole to come to a conclusion that like, this is what works, what is, what is all use the same thing. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, even, even as MXC, like we, we do have our own protocol, but it's open source and you know, we mm-hmm. don't have a main, we are a parachain. So we are also working in interoperability in IoT. Um, and even then when we already provide these interoperability um, solutions, even then it's really difficult. And I think especially with, with, when it comes to IoT, when it comes to devices and machines, when they themselves already have a built-in protocol themselves inside them. You cannot just, you know, knock on a company and be like, hey, like, um, you're going to change all the protocol inside your hardware to ours um, because uh, crypto? Like, that's such a sad argument. Yeah, right? and it's, it's not going to happen. It's not going to yeah, happen either. And they'll be like, I don't know, like, who, like, who are you? And then just like, get out the door. <laughs> um, so yeah. what we have done is, you know, but there is, no matter what kind of mainnet or, or blockchain or whatever that you use, there is one standard that, you know, is that it's all based on electricity, right? Mm-hmm. And you just kind of would have to essentially plug something in. That's kind of the, the unifying variable in this case, which is also why for, for in our cases, um, we have brought our protocol inside a hardware. So to implement our protocol, you just simply have to plug in the hardware, which is a lot more simpler to do than changing the entire protocol of inside a computer or device or whatever. And I think that there is, of course, different um, solutions and workarounds and things like that. That's something that we have found the most efficient in our industry. But I think, um, you know, of course, when it comes to AI development and, and cloud and data, big data issues, like most main, it's like, sorry, bros, you gotta get out. Yeah, like there's no space. The bus is full. I mean, that's that's the biggest problem with crypto right now is that it's not it's not even necessarily a, like. And there's very few companies. Like obviously, yours is one. Um, MXC Foundation is obviously doing actual work. They're actually, you know, you guys are actually building, you know, a product and in, in a trying to you know make this stuff work. But there's also a lot of companies out there, and we we spoke about this before. There's a lot of companies out there that just are just trying to catch a pump. 
They're yeah. just trying to, um, you know, outlast or, or just trying to, to raise more money if possible. Um, and they're not actually trying to build anything. And yet their main net is still there. You know, their, their chain is still there. And so when you're a company trying to decide, okay, which one of these blockchains should I choose? There's yeah. too many options. And that's, that's usually not a problem, right? But in this case, there is too many options. So over time, I, I have the feeling, and I actually I know that these, these are things are going to narrow down. People are going to start to figure out, hey, what is blockchain tech? What is the best types of, of blockchains to use? What are we looking for? And, and of course, that's going to rule out a lot of these you know, blockchains or, or, or projects that don't have a blockchain. Right. Um, so let's, let's talk more about what you guys are actually doing. Because sure. I want to, I want to be, you know, get get into the specifics. So, what is it that you guys um, are using, you know, machine learning for um, specifically, and like, how are you guys combining blockchain and AI together? Right, right. So, well, in terms of AI, what we are developing is, um, you know, right now it's mainly for data measurement and also for security. Um, you know, not like building security or like bounce at our club. It's more like yeah. for fire hazards and you know these kind of natural disasters. Um, so in terms of an actual built-in AI hardware, we actually have built an um, AI camera. So it kind of looks like a regular CCTV um, you know, security camera, but it has a built-in AI mechanism, and it also has different sensors inside of it. So what that means is that let's say that you have this camera um, on the street looking at like down the avenue or something. Then this camera can detect, first of all, like, um, if there are any, for example, fire hazards. And then the second thing, it has visual input such as, oh, there's a smoke. And then the third layer is, do you actually see an actual flame? Right, so that is something that we, are, that we have already built, that we are rolling out, um, is to tackle um, you know, fires in more larger areas, such as forest fires, that you know, it's kind of like, the most current joke could go like, I don't know if a forest, entire forest burns, but no one was there to see it. Did it really burn? Um, the answer is yeah, because it fucking burned. <laughs> yeah. And, and um, our, we're building an AI camera that, that detects that. And it could be for, um, for fire. We are also um, currently working on actually a new partnership to detect the kinds of trash that's on the street. And you know, this seems quite menial because it's trash like who cares about trash other than no that could be something like, cool yeah right but i mean so i mean a lot of people think oh it's just trash like you know we don't care about trash only raccoons care about trash but um when you actually look into what kind of trash are are the, are the most frequent are those cigarette butts are those beer cans and for example then you kind of narrow down the source of the trash you know could be that oh one way to solve this littering issue is that you know designate that area as a non-smoking area or to you know um, implement some kind of uh, regulatory fines on the bars around that area so that people cannot take their bottles outside and these kind of things. Another thing that we are working in um, China especially and also in Germany is that we are using um, our AI built-in AI mechanism to measure the amount of people in a certain area. I know it could be an iffy issue. I know especially you know these days with all the protests you know like people are kind of freaked out like they don't want the cops filming them. But since this visual input in our cases never goes to online, you know, it's completely secure. It's you know, anonymous in the end. And then it's kind of looking at, okay, like let's say that you're at a train station and from this time to this time, you see a lot of 
people the footage, then the AI can make that um, you know, produce the result that says during this time to this time, there's a lot of people. Then we have like, you know, built-in sensors to also different area, different areas within that station, train station, for example. And I say, okay, like when there's a lot of these people, trash cans become more full or, or um, you know, like there's too much carbon, um, you know, there's too, too much carbon dioxide in the air, for example, then that can also improve um, the caring of the infrastructure itself. So these are some, some really concrete things in combining AI and blockchain that what we're doing. And of course, the blockchain in this case is used to send that output data from the device to the cloud or to the server using blockchain. So it's, you know, you, no one can manipulate it. No one can um, you know, hack into it. No one can, it cannot be leaked so that it's also used in a secure and responsible way. That's really cool, actually. Uh, I like that. Yeah, and I, I, think, I think it has a lot of, a lot of future. You know, we have received um, quite a few interests, um, exact, uh, especially from Australia with the, um, you know, the bushfire. Um, you know, in many urban cities with, you know, where it's congested population, um, train stations in Germany, but it's quite unique because they want to, um, you know, kind of at, on one hand find out which train stations are, are overused and overpopulated, but then their main concern is actually picking out which train stations are not used so much so they can remove that train station to make it more efficient. Germans and their efficiency, you have to give it up to them. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, those are <clears throat> just some concrete things that we're doing. Awesome. Do you have any, uh, you know, things that, that maybe you, um, some ideas where you think that you could kind of evolve into or, or cover a, you know, more, more space uh, or just, just in a different area? I mean, obviously you guys are doing what you're doing now. Right. But is, is there anything else that you guys are thinking about, like moving into? Yeah, actually, um, I think since since for a very long time, we kind of sat down and you know, like most of us in in MX Foundation, um, you know, I mean, first of all, the the company, the project was created not to just say, okay, like we want to use blockchain, let's find a problem. It was kind of that we found a problem first, and then we use blockchain to solve it. And then most of, our, at least our, our marketing team is um, concerned about why should anyone care, right? I think um, we are in a unique, we are a unique company that is quite humble and that we really look at, look at ourselves critically and say, okay, like we develop these things. Okay, who cares, right? Like I sometimes make, tell myself, okay, I don't care about this and I read like what we're doing. And especially with AI and all these things, why should anyone care, right? Like, I don't know, like things work fine just now. Maybe things will, will work better in the future. Like, but it doesn't really incentivize people to, to become part of the movement to, to contribute the data, for example. Um, so most recently, what we have done is we have actually rolled out a crypto miner. And I think um, you know, it's quite an accomplishment because we did it in a very short amount of time. And the reason that we have done this is that, okay, what if as more data is being collected, as more data is being, being transmitted and more development is happening, what if people can literally earn money, you know, even if they don't care about it, even if they don't do an active part in it? So we have developed a miner that um, uses low electricity. So it uses less than five watts, which means uh, like a light bulb. So your operational cost is essentially zero compared to like 600 um, for an ASIC miner. And 
Second thing is you can also, it's weatherproof, so you can install it outside. It doesn't need a specific rig or it needs to be inside, for example. I mean, the, the reason I'm talking about this is that you know, people can contribute to, to the entire ecosystem of data and developing AI and developing cool new technologies that evolve around the world. And then they don't have to know everything about it. They don't have to be technical experts. They just simply turn on this miner, it mines different tokens, and then they earn money. And I think the coolest part is that it actually mines four different tokens at the same time. So it's, I think it's quite revolutionary. I, I know that ASIC miners only mine single tokens, right? right. But with our miner, you can earn um, MXC token, of course. The second thing is um, DHX token, which is um, Data Highway DAO. It's a new upcoming project in Berlin. Uh, third thing is, um, I think it's IPFS which is I know about IPFS, yep. Yeah, but, you know, a lot of uh, popularity in China, especially. And fourth thing is, of course, Bitcoin. And I think it's, it's quite cool for people to earn money, even if they don't understand it. And the reason that I emphasize on the word understanding it is that, you know, most of us know that mining used to make money. Now, it, not so much, but we, we know it used to. But how come nobody really involved, got involved in it? Because they don't, know how to set it up, they don't know, you know what to do. Right. You know, they don't know the, all the commands on the computer and everything. But we actually also made a mobile app for both iPhone and Android that you can control um, you know, your devices, your data management, um, your miner, and that you can actually do all these settings in an easy way, including also staking through a mobile app securely. So you can literally just install it anywhere you want. You can go on a holiday and just you know, check on your app and control it directly from your app. So that would make more sense um, when we, I was actually going to ask that one, one of those questions, like how do people get more involved? So yeah. uh, first question, uh, are you guys actively selling this miner that you guys, that you're talking about? And mm -hmm. the second question is, how would you suggest uh, somebody, and, and we just talked about it, but how would you suggest somebody take the steps to get more involved um, in, in mining, I guess, for somebody who's like, you know, who, who maybe he just wants to like conserve more data or, you know, uh, I don't know, be more efficient. Well, first of all, um, we ourselves are not directly selling this miner. We have developed it in conjunction with a, another hardware company based in Berlin called MatchX. Okay. Uh, MatchX is currently selling it. Um, they actually, right now it's in pre-order. Um, I know that from, they already made a um, couple of thousand sales in, in China. So that's uh, quite huge. Um, and of course, you know, we, we you know, combine our efforts in doing that. And... I think now the next next places it's going to roll out is South Korea, Russia, um, and then EU and the United States. So we are really working to bring it to as many people as possible. Um, the waiting list right now is quite huge. Um, you know, we are really thankful for that. I think it's because a lot of people, um, these, especially these big mining pools, are losing profitability after Bitcoin halving. Mm -hmm. So now they're kind of trying to boost that you know profit level, and one way that people can you know, participate in, in mining and, and making it more efficient and so on is that I think in the end, people want to do all these things because they simply want to make more money, right? Mm -hmm. So in our um, app, we act, have actually built in a very, very simple mechanism that shows you, uh, well, first of all, your mining efficiency. So you don't have to rely on forums and, uh, you know, like, different people on, on Reddit or, or join different Discord channels to ask about it. 
um, you have a direct feedback from your miner directly onto your mobile phone. So then it, it would give some certain suggestions. For example, like, oh, like you, it's too deep underground. You should like put it near your window. Um, it's overheating or, you know, could be things like that. That's great. Cause most people just, they, they want to be hands off. Like, like yeah, tell, exactly. tell me what I got to do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then another thing that we have actually built in is that we also want to make sure that people <laughs> are actively participating. Right. And um, I think it's also an area that's, um, been ignored for so long when it comes to proof of stake, proof of work, um, you know, all these things kind of show our a reflection of how our society works is that, you know, like proof of stake, if you have money in the society, you're going to earn money. Proof of work, if you could work, then you're going to earn money. But in the end, we all participate in our society. I think that's the most important thing. So we have built-in mechanisms that actually give you some certain um, I would say a boost in your mining profitability for a certain period of time when you do um, certain participation or certain actions. So this doesn't have to be hardware. For example, this could be that, oh, like you opened your app like every day, for example, to, to check. Then that kind of gives you certain points. Oh, you um, talked about it on social media. You, you made content about it. You wrote an article about it, or you invited some friends to join. That's certain points and so on. So that way, even those people who are not hardware and tech savvy can get involved in mining and start profiting and start, you know, really increasing that profit margin that has been set by them. So you know, it's quite different because, you know, most other um, mining, I would say, is uh, to earn more, you need to stake more or you need to you know, purchase more hot, you know, that. so that's what we have done. So yeah, I, I, think, I think it's gonna be, gonna be like getting really cool, you know, getting a lot of interest from all around the world. Right now it's pre-order, and um, once the pre-order has been ended, <clears throat> we're gonna go into regular sales, but we are also, you know, we're gonna, through, through you guys and through our networks and you know, friends, we're gonna start rolling out some discount codes so people can also get it for cheap. Uh, what yeah, we also yeah. do is that, you know, get these networks involved, so, now, for example, you could maybe like put in a code on your app and then because you'll be kind of assigned to like different teams or groups, let's say, like Clash of Clans, clans let's say, <laughs> and um, you could enjoy, you know, mutually um, shared kind of profit level by pulling in the efforts together. And that's what we really want to do. You know, we want people to come together as a community and contribute to the developmental ecosystem, even if they don't know anything about it. I think these people have been ignored in, in both blockchain and AI for so long, for too long. And I think it's about time that they should be um, included in what we're doing and what we're developing. And that's the best way to do it. I mean, that's the best way to get them involved. Uh, the incentive of making some money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, like everyone likes money, right? Exactly. Well, um, I, I mean, I think we, we pretty much covered like everything. I mean, if that doesn't cover AI and blockchain, I think it's probably like the go-to episode uh, or even the, the go-to podcast right now for AI and blockchain. I haven't, I haven't seen anybody cover this in, in detail like we just did. Yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate you coming on. Um, I would like you to just go ahead and if there's anything in specific, and, and obviously you and I will talk about, um, you know, the discount code for um, the pre-orders and whatnot. But if there's anywhere that um, any, any of the guys listening can go right now, um, mm -hmm. then you can go ahead and just, you know, go ahead and talk about that. Where can they find uh, more resources on MXC and um, yeah, yeah. Just go ahead and shout out your social media and everything. 
Yeah, sure. So uh, if you want to find out more about MXC, go to our website, mxc.org, um, O-R-G, remember that part. Um, or just, you know, type MXC Foundation on Twitter and, you know, we're right there. Um, and if you're interested in, you know, for example, checking out this app, you know, we are also going to do some, some cool promotions to encourage people to get involved. Um, you know, we recently rolled out the app. So on, and if you have an Android, I have both Android and iPhone with me, but if an Android, just go on Google play type, um, the app's name's MXC data dash, just type that is the first result and you can download it straight on Google play store. And then you can just check it out. Um, on if you want to go on your iPhone, you would right now we don't have it on the iPhone App Store yet, so you would just have to go to our website, go on the Supernote tab, and then you can download um, the iPhone version of the app through our website. And yeah, I mean after after that, I mean I encourage everyone to, you know, ask any questions that they may have. You know, if if they want to know more about the miner or or the operation itself, I think. Um, and one thing that I think right now, the information with the miner isn't so available. We do have kind of a one pager, very simple explanation um, prepared. We're gonna roll, roll that out. Um, but I know that a lot of people wanna find out, oh, you know, ROI on the, on the um, miner and so on. But we also don't make empty promises. We are sick and tired of other projects doing that. So right now um, it's running in China. So we're collecting the data from that. And then we're actually going to do precise statistical analysis of the ROI from field data and the and provide that Love so it. that you know no one is is you know being told bullshit that I, I yeah. think that yeah, yeah me too I mean you and I are on the same page we yeah exactly uh, the crypto community already has too much of that so I appreciate your honesty yeah. on that yeah and then um, yeah other than that you know make sure to to follow us on on Twitter I think in like two weeks it's gonna be my birthday so oh for my birthday because I will be alone thanks to coronavirus and because <laughs> I'm sorry. My, my girlfriend doesn't want to travel <laughs> to, to Berlin Oh man! because of coronavirus, of course. Uh, um, I'm just, and I live alone, so I'll be very lonely. Um, oh. So I'll probably do some, I'm um, just uh, a few giveaways and just might give away some, some Bitcoin or, or USDT, like whatever. Um, yeah. So check me out on Twitter and yeah. Uh, it's your Twitter is at if you see one. Yeah, like if you and alphabet C and number one. Got it. Okay, so go go follow him on Twitter. He needs more followers. Uh, and and I guess what date so that I can know myself is your birthday? June twentieth. June twentieth. Okay, so look out for some giveaways then, and um, I'll be sure to remember that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, thanks, Shuan, for coming on. And and by the way, I always say Shuan, like. How do you actually say your name? So I say my name actually incorrectly. You actually say my name correctly. It's, oh, it's great. <laughs> I know. So in, in Korean, it's Shiwon. So it's like a she sound. She Shiwon. Right. Yeah, you, you say it correctly. I call myself Siwon, which is wrong pronunciation, but I just got used to it. <laughs> Probably because everybody else calls you that. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I don't know. Like at, at the one point, I was like, all right, like fuck it, I'm gonna go with it. <laughs> Nice. Well, thank you, Shuan, for coming on, and uh, we'll have to have you on for another future episode. And as you know, as AI and blockchain kind of evolves, and as you guys are um, starting to do new things, we'll, we'll definitely have to to revisit. But this is a really fun episode. I hope this gives everybody at home a very good uh, explanation of what AI and blockchain um, possibilities are, or what AI is in general. And until next time, we will uh, see you guys in the next. Yeah. Well, thanks for, again, thanks for having me.
And uh, for everyone who's watching, make sure to also follow um, Ty on Twitter and also Modern Markets. I know uh, you guys provide. And also subscribe to their newsletter. I subscribe and you know, I get a lot of good content through that, a lot of great articles. So yeah, I encourage everyone to do so and everyone who's working in blockchain to reach out to Ty, schedule for an episode. It's really fun and you get to talk about you know, anything that's on your mind and you know, it's, it's a really relaxing and fun episode. So yeah, I encourage everyone to do that. Thanks, man. You're a beast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Bye, guys. See ya. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Modern Markets Podcast with your host, Titan. Don't forget to reach out to us. Some of the best ideas we get are from our listeners. And sign up for our free newsletter that comes out every Wednesday. We tackle some of the hardest-hitting stories in banking, fintech, and decentralized payment systems.